Welcome to the Hudson Wesleyan Church Podcast, a recording of the weekly messages of Pastor Wesley Rowan during the Sunday worship service. We trust the time you spend listening will enhance your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here is Pastor Wes. You can turn to John chapter 20 uh, if you like in your Bibles. I'm going to tell you part of an account, not going to read the whole thing for you from John chapter 20 starting with verse 19. I also want you to keep in mind what uh, Pierce read for us this morning about uh, these two stories of the experience with Jesus uh, and the fish in the boats uh, at the beginning and the end of his ministry. We have been talking about the reality of, of dark and difficult days, and we have been talking about that sometimes that challenges our faith, But even more than challenging our faith, sometimes it just challenges us to keep going, to keep pressing on, to keep looking for the hope of our uh, redemption, our trust, our confidence in Jesus Christ. And you could list any number of things that have probably happened uh, in your experience over the last 12 months, 24 months, last three or four years, certainly everything that, that transpired with the, the COVID pandemic, but there's been a lot of other, we kind of outlined the first week, there's just a lot of other realities in our world, in our culture, in our country, in our society that regularly um, at least make us wake up on a regular basis kind of going, man, what What next? Uh, How are we supposed to uh, be people of hope or confidence or faith in the middle of all this? And then you add to that your own private experiences. So we have national or world global experiences. We have some that maybe are particular to our community when tragedy strikes. Then you throw on top of that your own personal things, the things maybe nobody else knows about that are going on in your life. And you may not find yourself questioning your faith, but you probably find yourself often saying, what is the answer here? What am I supposed to do? How do I find solutions? Is this just the way that it is? And so we've talked a lot about what it it feels like to deal with that reality. And some of the pictures that we see in Scripture last week, we were talking about the beauty of Jesus in the midst of pain that the problem of pain is one of the biggest deterrents from people believing in God. It is one of the the reasons that we sometimes ourselves question our faith. And we were looking at that passage from Isaiah where Jesus is prophesied about, talking about being a man who experiences pain and grief and sorrow and what the cross does to that reality. But today, I want to use a story for you That whatever it is that you are going through, whatever it is that we are going through as a a collective society, it probably pales in comparison to what the disciples went through in that about 48-hour period, maybe 72-hour period, from the time that they had the Last Supper with Jesus through his time in the garden praying, his arrest, their abandoning of him, his trial, his beating, his crucifixion, his body being taken down and buried, and then his body disappearing. 
Think about it. The disciples, by the time that they get into that midweek after the crucifixion, after Easter, they've had quite a week. And to even say it's a roller coaster probably isn't fair. There had been the brief little up of, you know, of uh, them thinking Jesus had been raised from the dead and some of them claiming to have seen him, right? But so this wasn't even really a roller coaster. This was really pretty much straight downhill for about four days. This is what they're experiencing. Not just that someone that they loved and cared about had been brutally beaten and, and executed, but someone on which they had hung all of their hope, all of their confidence. This is how things are going to work out. This is how things are going to be. This is the hope that we can have. This is, man, Jesus is the Messiah. He, he's the miracle worker. He can do anything. They had seen him do anything. Everything that they had pinned on him, now not only is it gone, but they don't even know what is real, what is true, where their confidence can be found anymore. And so in John chapter 20, they are gathered together in a room. Remember, they, they witness firsthand the hatred, the anger of the religious leaders and the crowds and the Romans surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus. They are not interested in experiencing that themselves again. They think they may be coming for them. And so they're hiding in this room. The doors are closed. And Jesus appears among them. Peace be with you. Wow. All of the rumors, all of the we think maybe he's alive, we, we've seen something, we're not sure, we're, you know, there's reports coming to us, all of that right now, captive, found, answered, with Jesus appearing right before them, I am here. He had raised just like he had promised that he would. Wow. But there's one who's not there. Thomas isn't in the building that day. We don't know for sure why not. Maybe he wanted to be alone. He didn't want to be, he didn't want to be with everybody else. He may have been mourning on his own. He, he may have thought that being in a, a group of people, even that was too risky. He was off hiding somewhere else. Uh, maybe he had some other responsibilities that day. Maybe he had been sent out for lunch. I don't know, but he's not in the room. And so when he comes back or the next time they see him, Thomas, Thomas, you'll never guess, Jesus appeared to us. The answer, the solution, our hope, it's here. We found it. Here he is. All of the fears that we had, all the uncertainties, he solved them just by appearing. It's true. He's alive. And Thomas, the practical one, says, I'm not going to be convinced so quickly. I hung all of my hopes on him once. You saying, oh, we saw him. Maybe it was a, a ghost, a spirit. Maybe it was your imagination just wanting him to be there. But unless I can put my fingers into the wounds from the nails 
of the crucifixion. Unless I can stick my hand in his side where the spear went up and punctured his heart, I'll not believe. And so a few days later, they're gathered together in the room again. And Jesus appears again. Thomas, put your fingers here in my hands. Put your hand into my side. This is real. And then he says that thing that we so often hear quoted, you have seen and believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I want you to notice that in this crisis experience, in this dark, dark time in their lives, the different responses of the different disciples. There's fear. At one point, even before the crucifixion, of course, they abandon him and run off. Peter denies him. We were hearing the story of Jesus appearing there on the shore after the resurrection. But remember, Peter's last interaction with Jesus had been that he had denied him. Judas betrayed him and then went out and killed himself. They've all been hiding out of fear. Different responses, all of them, but none of them particularly stellar responses. None of them responses that we would hold up and say, ah, this person got it right. Now think with me. Are we willing to admit that in our worst, darkest, most frustrating, overwhelming times, there's at least the temptation that our response is not always stellar when it comes to our faith? The natural human inclination to say, God, what are you doing? This can't be the way. This can't be the answer. This can't be the solution. This can't be our hope. There's no way that this is the plan. Whether you're 12 or 18 or 30 or 50, 75, we all face moments in our lives where we are so tempted to do exactly what the disciples have done and just say, I guess I'm going to have to make my own way. I guess I'm just going to have to buckle down and figure out a way to get through this because whatever it is that God's up to, if he's even up to anything, that's not going to work for me. Just here in our little congregation, in the last 36 months, and I could, certainly examples that could go back even farther than that, but just if we took the last 36 months or so, we could point to thing after thing that people in this church have experienced 
where we would say, that can't be the way. That can't be it. And if someone came up to you and said, so does that mean you don't believe anymore? You would probably say, no, I believe. And I even believe that he's in control. But, but this is not it. Like, have I done something wrong? Have I missed the boat? Was I, did I not read the right verse? Or did I not see the right promise? Or did I not pray the right prayers? Or did I not go through the right processes? Or am I somehow, have I misunderstood this God? We said last week that C.S. Lewis famously said that, that it wasn't that his experience of pain made him disbelieve in God. He just didn't know if he wanted to have anything to do with him. And if you've never reached that dark night of the soul that's, that almost calls you to abandon any reasonable belief that God is really going to come through for you, if you've never experienced that, then two things I would tell you. One, realize that there are people who have experienced that deeply. And realize that there's a good chance that at some point in your life you will. And in that moment, you will do exactly what the disciples will do. You will revert or be tempted to revert to your most natural, basic human response. So for Peter, what's Peter's most natural, basic human response most of the time? Act now, think later, if you get around to it. That's Peter, right? So what's Peter do? They come to take Jesus, he whips out the sword and starts swinging. Then when he is cornered, he denies everything. The guy who is willing to swing the sword in the dark isn't even willing to admit he knows Jesus when he's by the fireside. All right, we'll bring it into 2022. The guy who was willing to declare up and down how much faith and confidence and, and how militant he would be for Jesus when he could do it anonymously or in the quietness of his own home and rant and rave about his belief bailed when he had to do it in a sacrificial way in front of other people. John, the one who is leaning on Jesus at the Last Supper, is at best hovering in the back of the crowd during the trial and standing there hopeless at the crucifixion. This is their response. And now we have heard, maybe he's alive? The women have told us that they have seen him. The ones on the way to Emmaus have reported that they've seen the Lord. And what is the response of these 11 robust, faith-filled men who are about to turn the world upside down, though they don't know it, they're huddled in a room 
because they're reverting to their most natural primitive human instinct, which is to hide, to bury their heads, to pull away. Now, we often point a finger at Thomas and say, see, Thomas, Jesus said, blessed are those who will believe without seeing. But I want you to notice something else about Thomas this morning. Even though it is true, and this is in your notes if you have the notes hand out for this morning, that Jesus praised those people that would believe without seeing, I want you to notice that he did not deny Thomas the proof that he asked for. See, I would be inclined to think that Jesus had already appeared once and that maybe he would have thought, well, look, if Thomas can't believe what they've told him, then I guess he's just going to miss out. He needs to learn to believe. He needs to learn to have faith. You ever had that in your dark moment where Satan starts to tempt you into thinking that maybe your faith just isn't strong enough? And so what obligation does God have to come and meet your need? You just need to have more faith. Well, maybe Thomas needed to have more faith, but I love the fact that Jesus showed up and gave him the evidence that he was looking for even with his lack of faith. Put your hand here. That's what you said you needed. Put your fingers here. That's what you said you needed. I believe that different people with different experiences and a different interaction with God based on their own spiritual journey are met by God in their own area of uncertainty in unique ways. That is one of the reasons why the body of faith is so important. The person sitting next to you or in the pew in front of you or across the aisle from you has not had the exact same experience with God that you have had. Thomas walks back into the room to be told the Lord was here and he can't believe it. And then God shows up, Jesus shows up in the room and gives Thomas his own experience. So the body of faith is important in our darkest moments. Listen, what has happened in our society over the last three, four years I don't think it was anything new. All it did was pull the veneer off of what was already laying underneath. And what we learned was that we are inclined to think that our experience with God is a very private, personal choice. And that our coming to worship, our coming to church is much more about what we do than who we are as the collective body. But the New Testament church knew nothing of this. The church during persecution has known nothing of this. The reason that we need each other is because it is in the collective experience of our darkest days and our highest mountaintops that we find the collective knowledge 
of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't mean that, that so we just all come in a room and this person says this is what their truth is and that person says this is what my truth is and we, we sort of just gobble it all together in the blender of you know worship music and whatever spits out the other side. That's what we believe. That's, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying what you know of Jesus, what Thomas knew about the resurrection was only part of the picture. And when he heard from the other disciples, that was another part of the picture. But it wasn't until Jesus showed up in the room that the picture was complete. And so we need those different experiences that other people have had. Furthermore, our uncertainty, and there's going to be uncertainty, our questions that demand answers, and those are going to exist, whether you're a person of faith or whether you don't believe at all. You're going to have questions, the what-ifs. Whether or not there is an obvious solution or answer to that question to us right now does not change the fact that there could be an answer that is beyond our comprehension. Think about it. Thomas, I don't know if he had this, this attitude about what he said, but I can see him saying when they say, the Lord has risen, he's here, he appeared among us. I can see him saying, it's not possible. And I, maybe I can see him even saying the most outrageous thing that he can think of that would have to happen to prove it true. Fine, I gotta see his hands, I gotta feel his side, I gotta see his feet, I gotta know, I gotta see it. That's the most outrageous evidence that he could think of, that somehow one day he's literally going to stick his hand into Jesus' side. But the fact that he had trouble believing that it could be true does not change the fact that it was true. Your darkness, your questions, your frustrations your moments of abandonment and of, of just feeling completely alone, when you can't see, spiritually speaking, across the room, much less all the way to glory, when the prayers seem to be bouncing off the ceiling, when everything that you've tried has not resulted in any more confidence or faith in what God is up to, your inability to see it does not change the reality of what he is and what he's doing. People say, well, I believe what I can see. I believe what I can put my hands on. That's what Thomas's argument was. And again, Jesus gives him that opportunity. But faith, we said a few weeks ago, is a substance that cannot be seen. A substance can be relied on. A substance could be, can be stood on. A substance can be grasped. It can be grappled with. It can be possessed, even if it cannot be seen.
when you are in your moment of desperation? What do you need from Jesus? Let me say a few things that probably aren't what we need from Jesus. We don't need an impressive show from Jesus. All of the miracles that Jesus had performed that had been the wow factor, right? Those met people's needs and they were impressive. But notice that when it really came down to the moment of darkness, everyone is fleeing. To the point of where Jesus actually says to his disciples, are you also going to leave? Everyone else is abandoning me. Oh no, we would never abandon you. Fast forward a few days, what do they do? They abandon him. What we don't need from Jesus is a really good show. I'm glad for beautiful worship services, whether they be very liturgical in nature or or very informal and contemporary in nature or somewhere in between. I've experienced a variety of ones. Uh, Well, just... Um, well, was it just uh, this last May when Carrie and I went to the general conference uh, down in, in St. Louis, and I was in some very um, uh, more contemporary style services during, during that, that general conference and some beautiful worship music and times of prayer and reflection and good speaking and, and all those kinds of things. And, and then while we were there, we went to, to a cathedral that was very quiet and, and somber, and we didn't get to be there for a service. It would have been beautiful to be there. But just walking around and seeing the quiet reflection and majesty of a very liturgical setting was an overwhelming experience of the beauty of God. Okay? So I'm glad for every experience, every, the whole variety and spectrum of experiences where we come to church and say, wow, that was great. But we don't just need a showing from Jesus of like, wow, look, boom. Look how majestic I am. It's not the only thing that we need from him. And in fact, in our moment of darkness, I don't think that's what we need at all. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure we need a good word from Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the master preacher, right? He stands on the mountainside and preaches so long that people forgot to eat lunch. I've been preaching for 15 years and nobody's ever forgotten about lunch. The apostles, great preachers, they're preaching guys falling asleep in the window, falling out, landing on the street. That sounds more up my alley, probably. Okay? Jesus is the master preacher. I don't think in their moment of darkness the disciples needed him to show up and give a word. They didn't need a theological treatise at that moment. They didn't need an academic exercise, even though that's good and it's helpful and it's got to be a part of our experience. So they didn't need a majestic worship experience. And they didn't need a theological, academic deep dive. They didn't need a miracle. What did they need from Jesus in the hour of their darkness? Exactly what they got. They just needed Jesus to show up. That was it. He didn't overwhelm them with an experience. 
He didn't give another quick run through the Beatitudes. He didn't say, if you'll take out your quill and your parchment, I'll give you a good three points. No. He didn't multiply the loaves and the fish again, not right then. He just showed up. Fast forward as we wind this down to the experience now out in the boat where he does give them a little bit of a show. What is Peter's reaction? The first time that Jesus had done this, Peter was in the boat. Jesus said, this is the first time that Peter meets Jesus, we think. Peter is in the boat, fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus says, go on out, cast the nets out again, let them down, and you'll catch some fish. He's just given a sermon. So he's given a sermon, he's about to give him an experience, Right? And so Peter goes out, and he, whatever, you don't know what you're talking about. This is my, you know, I'm a fisherman. This is my profession. Da, da, da. Out in the boats they go. You said to throw the nets down. I'll do it. They throw them down. They fill the boat. Peter's response is to abandon the fish, worship Jesus, and then leave everything behind and go follow him. Because what he really needed from Jesus was not the fish. It was that, that relationship. So now, We've gone all the way past the resurrection and they're out in the boat again. Peter has gone fishing. I preached a whole sermon on this a few years ago. I'm sure you remember it. Um, but Peter goes out in the boat again. He's like, look, I don't know what else to do. So I'm gonna do what I've always done. I'm going fishing. Catches nothing. There's some guy over there on the shore. Let your nets down on the other side of the boat. fine and if it we know peter he's probably doing it so that when he gets to shore and still doesn't have any fish he can tell this guy where to go fly a kite fine i'll let him down on the other side and when they begin to strain and break so much and i love i love that account from john 153 fish that can only be written by a guy who was a professional fisherman who's been asked to write an account, okay? It's like when you ask your friend who works at the Apple store to fix your phone and they tell you all the details about what they're doing with your phone that you don't care, you just would like to be able to get your text messages again, right? John is writing, he says, there's 153 large fish and Peter, who wanted the fish, Peter, who wants the experience, he's an emotional guy. Peter, who sat at the feet of Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount and in the garden and at the Last Supper and every time Jesus is preaching, Peter, who himself is gonna become one of the great professors, if you will, of the faith in the New Testament where he preaches the theological truth. Peter, Something clicks in the back of his head and he says, wait a minute. That guy standing on the shore is Jesus. And Peter, who's at the darkest moment of his life, Peter, who denied that Jesus was anybody that he knew, Peter, who's living in darkness and down to the bottom and searching for some solution and thinks that he's just going to return to his own experience of livelihood, which is fishing for the second time in recorded scripture, abandons the fish 
jumps into the water after he gets dressed, jumps into the water and heads to shore. Why? Because what Peter needed was just for Jesus to be there. And Jesus will go on to ask him, do you love me? You know that I love you. Friends, hear me. We are at all different points on this spectrum. Emotionally, relationally, physically, financially, socially, politically. We got another election week coming up this week. Well, goody for us. Won't that be exciting? We don't need Jesus to put on a show. If everything on Tuesday goes contrary to how you hope that it will go, you don't need Jesus to come down and put on a show and convince all the people that vote different from you that they're wrong and you're right. What we need is just for Jesus to show up in the presence of people who have claimed to believe in him and who just want to experience him in a personal and intimate way. That is the answer that we're looking for. Can it be? Can it be that even in our darkest, most hopeless, most overwhelmed moment, that somehow what Thomas was wondering, could it really be that Jesus might just show up? You say, now, pastor, what does that mean for Jesus to just show up? What do you mean? I mean for him to bring a peace to your soul that is not grounded in the answers, just in the answer. That's not grounded in the experience, just in the person that we are experiencing. That's not grounded in your theology, even though I know, and last week I said it, that, that there's something beautiful about holding on deeply to truths that we know, even when we don't feel them. But it's not just grounded in your theology. It is grounded in the one on whom our theology is based. And for him to bring a peace to your soul that says, you know that I am real, and you know that I am providing for you. And even if everything else on this earth and this experience does not go according to your plan, it does not change the fact that you know that I am here. Interestingly enough, Peter and the other disciples, Thomas, all of them probably thought when they saw that experience of Jesus, oh good, he's alive. Now it's going to happen. And instead, a few days later, they're standing on the mountainside and watching him go back to heaven. And then he says, now you go. You go. What is your thing today that maybe you've allowed to be your barrier because you are waiting for the certain experience or for the certain evidence or for the certain truth? Jesus will meet you where you are. He met Thomas where he was in the room 
full of doubt. He met Peter where he was, on the shore, out fishing. He will meet you where you are. And that's what we need from him. Lord, forgive us for times when we have sought to make our experience with you fit into the box that we're comfortable with. Forgive us for doubting, but thank you for meeting us even in our doubts. Lord, all we want is you to show up in our lives with a peace and a power that fills us and draws us near to you. So in this week, as we go forward, help us to find you in the time of quiet, in the time of reflection, in the time of prayer, and to know that you are with us and that you walk with us every step of the way. Bless us with your grace and peace, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for coming and worshiping this morning. Have a wonderful afternoon. May he This message is a ministry of Hudson Wesleyan Church, where our mission is to see lives transformed for the glory of God. For more information, you may contact the church at 517-448-6411 or at hudsonwesleyan.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you.